When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jake, a Newcastle fan. You get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. Hi, everybody. My name's Thomas. I'm the editor of wallsblog.com, which is unsurprisingly a uh, fan site dedicated to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, if you want to get me on Twitter, you can do so at wallsblog. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. We're going to start off by pretending that that Tottenham result didn't just happen. Uh, we'll start off with Project Big Picture, which has already been proposed and died uh, in the time since the last show that we did. But I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the idea on the whole and, and kind of the discourse and vitriol that surrounded it. Yeah, it, it was an interesting uh, discussion. I think that um, ultimately they've come to the right division, but that's that's because they don't have the uh, the the voting system that they were proposing in, which is a pre- pretty much the only reason it didn't didn't happen. Um, just before I get into the actual proposal and some of the some of the bullet points, I read quite an interesting piece um, on the Athletic this week, which had a, a, a bit about the top six and just the uh, the boardroom dynamics that go on in in top six clubs and the Premier League. And it it there was quite an interesting story about where these top six clubs at one meeting where they were discussing a, a TV deal that there, there wasn't uh, like an agreement in the room and then at one coffee break we, the top six clubs all got together in a little huddle, huddle in the corner which makes me feel like that's the dynamic that goes on in these meetings that, that although they might be um, I don't know rivals on the pitch off the pitch they're very much not um, and that, that makes sense because they've got a lot of the same I guess objectives and a lot of the same interests Um in regards to the distribution of money and the uh, amount of teams in the league and trying to maintain their status. Um, so yeah, it's not too surprising that they've tried to get in a few more of those uh, regulations to allow them to, to play more in Europe, um, make more money themselves, um, try to step away a little bit more from the even even distribution of uh, TV money. Um, I mean, I don't think that it is completely even anymore. There is some percentage that is weighted on how much you do play on on television. Um, so yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird one. I feel like it. it I feel like we're going to be going in the direction where more of these measures will be coming in. Uh, I think maybe it was it was outvoted this time, but I think that the the top six teams, if you know, the, the threat of the European Super League and the threat of more Champions League games that. That they do have a lot of power, even if they don't have the voting rights yet. So I think we're going to see more of it. But you know, it, to me, I've, uh, it, this coming happening a couple of days after the pay per view thing, it just sort of makes you want to s- turn off a little bit from the game. To be honest, if you're not supporting one of these top clubs, it's just it just feels like um, fans are very secondary to all of this. It's um, 
in the proposals that you know there's some good stuff in there about um tickets for away fans and um things like that but it does feel just just all of it just feels like we're in like a big game of house of cards and we're not <laughs> the, the fans don't really mean that much and what is happening on the pitch isn't the primary focus because i think that what makes the premier league so good is that um you do have so many competitive teams like uh I mean, I, I support one of the one of the worst teams in the league, but we've still got players that are very good and on their day can can do great things. And, and a reason why we can have players like, say, Maximan and um, Callum Wilson is because of the distribution of funds and the way it is um, allowed the lesser clubs to go and spend big money. We've seen it with uh, promoted clubs recently. Leeds going out and buying Rodrigo wouldn't be able to do that if they if if the Premier League wasn't set up in this way. And these proposals made me feel like, especially United Liverpool move more towards the uh the La Liga system of um them making so much more than their competitors which you know it if in their own interest of course they want to do that but I feel like it would it water down the league and they might be making more money in the short term but in the long term it, it would hurt the the overall health of the league and, and the competition that they play in so it didn't really make a lot of sense to me um I think the the stuff of the EFL was good but it definitely felt like they were paying off the EFL now to um to get these voting rights in to later take take all of this away it did feel a little bit like that with the EFL club being in such desperate need of money um yeah it just didn't really fit too well with me uh, there's a lot of good ideas in there but the good ideas within there take away from the really bad ideas that were also in there so I'm happy it didn't go through and it, it has started a conversation uh, I don't think it's the end of it even though it was voted down I think that a lot of these will be brought back. I think the 18-team Premier League is one that they're probably going to bring back because um, it would open up more space in the calendar, limit the amount of games they have to play domestically and maybe um, if the Champions League does get bigger, which is being proposed, they would have the time to do that. That's one I don't think we're going we're gonna to see go away too soon. Uh, I think the voting rights will probably come up again at some point. But yeah, it, it's a bit of a weird one. Um, they made those changes. I think it would hurt them even in the long run as well. I don't think I don't think it would be good for for them uh, because the reason why they make so much in sponsorship is because the Premier League is is so widely watched. And one of the reasons for that is the competitiveness of the league. Like I'll keep going back to it. That is the, the Premier League's biggest selling point, um, and it's the reason why you know Manchester United, Liverpool, uh, Manchester City, Chelsea, etc., can make so much more than a lot of clubs around the world. Um, in commercial contracts as well, because so many people watch it. Like, if you know, if we got up, up to viewing figures for the Premier League compared to La Liga, uh, Serie A, Bundesliga, I think we see a huge, a huge difference. I don't have those numbers in front of me. I wish I did, but I, I feel like if if we did get what they were proposing to come in, I, I think the Premier League would lose some of that um, that attraction uh, in, in other places as well, which you know would would hurt them in the long term. So yeah, it's. There's a lot of good ideas, a lot of bad ones. Um, but yeah, the bad ones are the ones you've got to be focusing on. And I think that there's going to be a lot more plotting going on behind the scenes and we'll see a lot more proposals like this. Um, and I think that because they voted against the plan this time, they'll probably use that as a negotiation to get something in in the coming months and, and years. So yeah, it's, it's not great. And uh, I'm glad it didn't get put through, but I fear we're going to be coming into some of these changes at some point down the line. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo most of what Jake said there. Um, it did feel like they were just trying to bury, um, you know, certain policies that were beneficial to the big six. Um, 
you know, in amongst other things that may have taken, deflected that away. And it just, it, it had a bad smell, didn't it? It was like, well, we'll give this money to the, the, the other, that the EFL clubs desperately need. We'll give it to them, but it's going to come at this price. And then on top of that, we're going to use it to leverage our position in the Premier League and, and create, you know, a more ring-fenced area for, for us, the elite clubs. So, yeah, it, it stank and it had to be thrown out. Um, there was th- some interesting points in it, you know, as Jake touched on, uh, reducing the Premier League to 18 clubs. I think a lot of people would probably be in favour of that. I don't really have a strong opinion. If there's a good argument for that and it frees up uh, fixtures and, and it makes things, you know, I mean, you don't have to have these same conversations about fixture congest- uh, congestion, um, then maybe that'd be something good. Getting rid of the um, EFL Cup and the Community Shield. Um, I don't know why you get rid of the Community Shield. I don't feel like, okay, I don't think it's as popular, but it's just one game. So I don't, I don't really understand what the... My understanding is that it was basically a glorified friendly that raised money for charities. So I don't really understand why you'd scrap that. But the EFL Cup, obviously... I think that competition needs a rethink. Um, they need to do something with that. So I was up for that. Um, but yeah, I mean the the whole the whole thing about the you know changing the voting system and the way they tried to bury it. They they started by saying, well, actually, we'll give nine clubs who have been in the league the longest. Um, you know that kind of had an element of credibility. You know, but then they said actually, but only the top six, the big six, will be able to to vote on the major changes, which again, it's it just kind of elitism and it just, it just stank, didn't it? Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm glad it got thrown out. Um, I think it raised some interesting points. Um, and if anything good does come out of this, it, it will allow us to change the game for better, um, address hopefully some of the, the financial differences between the Premier League and the EFL, um, make the competition fairer, um, but I don't think some of those things in that list would have actually made the competition fairer. So um, I, I, I assume Wolves voted against it. And my understanding is all 40, all 14 clubs who weren't the big six voted against it. And I think they, the way that the Premier League uh, put it forward, that they'd unanimously agreed that it wasn't the right thing, was probably just a face-saving exercise from those big six clubs who realised that actually it made them look pretty pretty foolish and looked like they were taking advantage of a bad situation. So I'm a bit more hopeful than Jake, probably. Um, I think that we we might end up with something that shows a little bit more humility um, and an acceptance of, you know, where, where, where we are, you know, in the world, not just in football. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it was an interesting, an interesting week. That's for sure. An interesting starting point to see where it actually ends up. Yeah, agreed. And I do think it's important that like a lot of managers and other people high up in football all came out saying that that this needs to benefit, you know, all parties at all levels of the football pyramid. I think Bielsa and Mourinho both spoke out about that, and I'm sure others did as well. Uh, yeah, it just seemed like uh, maybe not the best idea and another in a continual string of not necessarily great PR for the Premier League following, uh, obviously, the pay-per-view stuff which we will not get into. Uh, but yeah, just so somebody at those offices needs to try to sort some things out to, to maybe boost the uh, credibility of the league at the moment, which is currently sinking amongst most fans. All right, we will go from there to talking about last year's title winners. Uh, Liverpool have had a weird start to the season. Obviously, that Aston Villa match stands out as the weirdest. 
but yesterday they have the Merseyside Derby. A couple of VAR decisions end up going against them. Uh, ends up being a draw with Everton, who I think are still top of the table, if, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but the big one is that the first VAR call was on Jordan Pickford, who kind of scissor-tackled Virgil van Dijk's knee. Uh, it was deemed that he was offside. And there have been mixed reports on whether or not VAR actually looked at the foul from Pickford or if they were only looking at the offside to give the penalty rather than potentially giving a red card. Um, But that injury has now been reported by Liverpool to be the knee injury that will require him to get surgery. Uh, Will probably last for the rest of the season if it is his ACL, which they haven't confirmed um, exactly what kind of knee injury it was. But that was certainly uh, the perspective of most after that that match but I just wanted to talk to you guys some about where that leaves Liverpool obviously they had the the best defense in the Premier League last year they have basically done since Van Dyke rocked up uh to Anfield uh that leaves them probably with Gomez and Matip potentially Fabinho dropping back I think he's played at center back for them a few times now but how do you consider their the strength of their defensive line moving forward yeah it's a, it's a bit of a worry really for um for Liverpool I think they have such a good system and and the system is the main reason for their success, rather than individuals, I'd say. Um, but at the same time, is, <laughs> there are a few key pieces to that team, and by losing them, they they do regress quite a lot. And we've seen that already this season with with Allison moving on to to Adrian for a few matches. That that hasn't gone well. Um, he did. I mean, moving away slightly, but Adrian didn't look confident at all yesterday. And obviously, he was. Mainly at fault for, for the way things went at, to begin with Aston Villa. I just think he, the lack of confidence that they have in him is, is really shown. And I think that, that that's partially true as well of, of when Van Dijk goes off. I think if, if you're saying the most important player on that team, you'd say Van Dijk, um, both out of possession. I think he's a very, very good one on one defender. I think he's very, very good aerially and he, he's quite important in their build up play. Quite quite um, regularly has more than you know, 70, 80 parts of the match and he's quite important in launching a lot of those attacks and I don't think that Matip or, or Gomez can quite do that in the same way. They're obviously, I'd say they're probably inferior one-on-one defending aerially and on the ball so to have them both playing at the same time is it's, it's going to hurt them a lot and it's going to be similar to, sort of, be similar to how we, Manchester City went last season as soon as Laporte went out we just saw them concede so many sloppy goals and we've already seen it in, in that derby game they Liverpool looked like they were going to concede every single time a ball came up came into into the box aerially they just didn't look comfortable um and I think that that's that's gonna gonna continue teams are gonna target that um so yeah I think it's gonna hurt them but I think it's gonna hurt them in possession as well I don't think they're gonna be as fluid I think Thiago coming in helps because uh, he can probably take on a lot of that that load by going to drop deeper and pick up the ball, but I still think it's, it's going to hurt them a lot. Uh, and again, they're just one one injury away from a crisis. They don't really have any cover there. They have Fabinho, but if you move Fabinho there, you lose something in the midfield. Um, they could play a young player, but they probably don't want to do that. Um, selling Lovren was the right decision, but not bringing anybody else in, even if it was somebody to that wasn't that you didn't expect. To, to play too often, I think it was a bit of a mistake. Alison back at it. Um, so yes, yeah, it doesn't look good for Liverpool. Um, I'd, I'd quite, quite happily say that I, I can't see them winning the league now. It, I just don't think that, I just don't think they can. Um, I think, I think they'll be up there, but because uh, I don't think any team clearly looks like they're a well-oiled machine to run away with it, like like City did a couple of years, um, three years ago, and Liverpool did last season, but. 
yeah, without Van Dijk and without Allison even for the next couple of matches, I think that it's really difficult to see Liverpool keeping many clean sheets. Um, and and if you know by doing that, they're, they're probably going to drop a lot more points than they did last year. And yeah, it's 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 a major blow. And I think it's really unfortunate that it came in in a in a way that could have been avoided. There was no need to for for Pickford to fly out like that. You can really understand the the anger shown towards him um, among Liverpool fans in a derby as well. It's just it's not great. And, and and for their best player to go out like that, I think there will be a lot of injuries this year because of the amount of games. But to lose a player because of a the recklessness of a of another professional is, is really, really disappointing. And I think that the VAR really needs to, uh, the the um, the match officials really need to look at themselves. And 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 I think that, that Liverpool are right to ask the question why that there wasn't a red card there. They, they, they're absolutely right. There should have been a red card, even if it was offside. It was reckless, endangering a, a, a fellow professional. Um, and we saw it on the coverage in the UK on BT. Um, the um, the official that they had, or the former official they have, I can't, I can't remember. I think it's Peter Walton in the studio was talking about. Um, he, he said in the in the broadcast that it should have been a red card, and that never happens. Like the amount of times that, that the you know the the former official sticks with the uh, on field call, they very rarely disagree with it. So I think that was telling, and I think that you know Liverpool. I have every right to be disappointed with the decision, with the process, and with the two drop points. Because they, if there would have been a red card there, they probably would have come with three points. So yeah, it's, it was it wasn't a great showing for the for the match officials yesterday, and it is going to hurt Liverpool for a lot longer than than just this weekend. I think I think that their chart their chances of winning any major trophies this year, I I, I can't see it myself. Yeah. Um... Having the world's best defender ruled out for the season probably is always going to be a bit of a setback. Um, and if you look at that, if you look at Liverpool and how they play as a team, their shape, you know, Robertson and Trent, they're not exactly, you know, defence-minded fullbacks, are they? They're almost like wing-backs. Um, and, and, you know, I think there'd be a concern for Liverpool that Trent's not really having the kind of impact that he had last season, even as an attacker. And, I've heard it said that, you know, he, he needs to, he's not the best defender. He's actually a terrible defender, a terrible defender. He's a good, he's such an attacking weapon that it makes up for things, but he, he can't defend. Every time he's attacked, he's, he's woefully exposed. And a lot of the goals they can see come from things that are either directly or inadvertently his fault. So, um, so I think they've got a big problem. And I think it will really underline how much Van Dijk was holding that back four together. Um, because they, they're going to be targeted in attack now. Touching on what Jake said about Fabinho, I think that's exactly what Klopp will do. I think he will play Fabinho in the back four a hell of a lot. Um, I think Gomez is still quite raw for me. Um, I think Matip's the, the, the better player um, as things stand at the moment. If those two were to play together, they'd, they'd probably be all right a lot of games. If, if Liverpool were quite dominant, which you'd expect them to be, maybe... 60, 70% of the time, but then in the more competitive games, I think that that's where the percentage points um, will, you know, will will become more apparent. And um, yeah, so it's it's interesting. I don't think I'd go as far as Jake and say they've got no chance of doing anything um, just because Van Dijk's out. I think obviously Allison's a, a blow as well, but I don't know how long he's out for. But if he, if he's 
if he's back before too long, that that would be helpful to them. And I think they're good enough as an attacking force, um, and they've got a good enough midfield that they could they can protect that back four and, and dominate enough games to to be competitive. And and I don't think there's an outstanding team coming through who look like they're just going to rattle off 10, 15 wins as Man City and Liverpool have done over recent years. Um, it, it looks a more open competition, so that's probably in their favour in one sense. Um, so yeah, so I, I think it's um, yeah, it's obviously a massive hammer blow to Liverpool to lose Van Dijk, uh, but I think they can probably they can probably cope and be competitive. And but it might be the you know the the percentage points that that ultimately cost them the the title. If you think that that it is so uncertain whether or not they'll, they'll be able to get there, and in fact, it sounds like the two of you are certain that Liverpool won't be able to repeat their title uh, without Van Dyke. Which teams do you think are in the mix? I obviously would have tried to insert Tottenham uh, before today's match. Now I'm not so sure. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to answer this question because although I don't think Liverpool will win it now, there's not an obvious obvious replacement for them. Um, I I'd probably say Man City. I said them at the start of the season and. Although they've they've not been great so far, I think that they're probably the the most cover, um you know most balanced team out there. Um, after that Van Dyke injury, I think that they they're slowly getting people back into the team. We saw Aguero at the weekend. Might take him a few weeks to get up and running, but we know if for the matches that he plays, he's going to score at a very high rate. That you know, there's no doubting that he's done it for years, and, and that's not going to stop now, especially in a team that creates as much as City. I think um, De Bruyne, when he's back, you know, we know he's probably the best player in the league. We know that. Um, Laporte is slowly getting back to fitness. He's being managed quite well by Guardiola, and I think that Diaz and, and Ake, um, with time, will probably improve the back, the, the defense. I thought they were quite good against Arsenal yesterday defensively. They, they was, they weren't as as gung ho as they have been, and they controlled the game a little bit more. Um, Arsenal still had a couple of chances, but I thought that um, it was a much better team performance from City and something that they've been missing for you know well over a year now so it is encouraging sign especially when you don't have um, De Bruyne on the pitch or Laporte it was it was good for them to, to deliver that performance um, so yeah that would probably go towards City um, I don't think you know Chelsea and, and Tottenham don't seem to have the defences or the, the game management to, to get close to a title at this point um, Although they're, you know, all t- they're the two teams that are the, the most active in the window, so maybe they're gonna slowly grow into the season, and, and maybe they will be able to put together that run eventually. But at the moment, it they just look like they're gonna drop points every game, uh, and Tottenham to to drop points to to us and to, to West Ham in the last minutes doesn't bode well for the game management, um, which is something that you'd expect Mourinho to have brought in by now. So, yeah, it. It's probably still between Liverpool and uh, Manchester City, but I think that it's worth saying about the Champions League and the schedule that that's going to bring in, you know, and the Europa League as well. There's going to be games. I think the Champions League schedule is nearly every week now. I think there might be one rest week, um, but it's nearly every week. So it's going to be a lot more injuries, a lot more fatigue, and I think it's going to lead to a lot more open Premier League games and a lot more drop points that we've already seen. So, um, you know, it, we've said that we might never see a, a title victory like Leicester again but if there was ever going to be a surprise title winner whether that be an Arsenal or Tottenham or a Chelsea a slight surprise or an even bigger surprise such as an Everton uh, Leicester or or maybe even Aston Villa you know or, or Wolves if there was ever to be something like that it would be this year I, I, I don't think I don't think they will I'm not saying I'm going to expect any of those teams to do it but 
if there was to be another season like that, it would be this year. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm leaning towards City, but I think it's going to be really open. I think we're going to see, at least up until about December, we're going to see a lot of teams not that far off there. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of drop points. And I think it's going to make for quite an exciting league. Um, but City are the ones that, or City are the ones that I think are, I've most hoped for in, in putting together a team and, and finding a, a structure that can go on and, and win enough games to win the title. But yeah, it is really open. And, and although I, I ruled Liverpool out early, I'm starting to think that maybe they've got a chance again just because of the how well they know the system and, and just the winning mentality they have. Have, but no, I'd, I'd lead towards City, but it is so open. <clears throat> yeah, the, the points, the pace that's set will be very interesting because it doesn't look like it's going to be anything like it was in the last, what, three seasons. Um, so it will keep it more interesting. Uh, you know, you expect teams to, more teams to stay, you know, within touching distance. Um, but yeah, all, all the teams like Chelsea, Tottenham, they just don't look like they can defend. They could, they could look like they're going to score hatfuls of goals, but they're also going to concede a lot. So can I, it's a case of whether, you know, either of those teams can get their act together defensively. You'd think Tottenham with Mourinho, that would be something that would be, you know, a situation that he would welcome where he's got all these attacking weapons, but he just needs to get a, a shape and a, a balance between attack and defence. So, I mean... I would give them the benefit of the doubt. Chelsea just don't think have the personnel to even address the defensive issues they've got. They just went in way too heavy at one end and didn't invest well enough. Uh, I think Arsenal are quite interesting, but I, I just don't think they're quite there. Um, but you know, I mean, because the, the, they've been, they've seen off a lot of teams, but then the, the two they've come up against Liverpool and Man City, and they've, they've you know they've come up short in those games, which is probably an indicator about what you know where they actually are. Um, top four realistic, but um, and Everton, it's too early to, to probably say. It's just basically a case of seeing if Liverpool and Man City can actually string together, you know, sequences of results now, you know, because we've seen them have a sort of bitty start to the season, show glimpses of form, but not really sustain it over a long period of games. Um, so, you know, it'd be it's just a case of whether one of them can string together those five, six, seven wins in a row to, to take them clear. But if not, it's going to be a massive scrum, like Jake says, you know, going all the way to Chris, which is great, really, because that's ultimately what we want. We want competition and we we want it to be as, as close as possible. So, um, but yeah, like outside of Man City and Liverpool, it's, it's a complete coin toss to think who could actually gatecrash that. Yeah, I think you both raised points. I think Liverpool and City definitely still the favorites, but yeah, it it could be anyone. Like if Everton can somehow keep up the pace all year, like the Leicester year when we were all like, surely they can't do this all year, and then they just kept doing it week on week. If Everton if Everton can do it, uh, it, I totally understand the point about Tottenham and Chelsea not being able to defend. But if all of a sudden something clicks and that defense turns around, like the Leicester year as well, when Ranieri started offering pizza for clean sheets, um, then yeah, we could see somebody really surge. But I, I think based on past evidence, you're both right. It, it has to still be Liverpool and City um, in some combination of one and two, and then everybody else trying to fight up to get there. And there are so many clubs in that pack right behind them. Um, but we'll we'll see how that kind of sifts itself out as the season progresses. Uh, I wanted to wrap up this first section of the show by talking a little bit about tactics, which we used to do kind of in the early years of the show. We kind of drifted away from it, but I'd like to get back there now. Um, Seifu, who used to edit this show, and I were talking before uh, the Tottenham match about how we don't really play in the formation that we publish in like the pre-match tweet when the team is announced. And I was just curious with you guys if that's 
true for you as well. Do you stick to the actual formation in air quotes um, from like start to finish? Do you adjust depending on whether or not uh, you're in possession or out of possession? Or do you just kind of do a whole bunch of random 11 people on the pitch stuff? Yeah, we, we definitely do the round of 11 players on the pitch stuff. We we have a manager <laughs> that that doesn't know what a tactics board is. He just throws 11 men on the pitch and hopes for the best and just... I saw quite a good tweet yesterday from one of the Newcastle fans scenes about um, how you know Bruce Bruce always is very critical of the, the criticism he receives, and he always says, "Oh, it's we're a work in progress." Um, you know, it, it, it's difficult to change a style, uh, but I've seen signs that we 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 are starting to achieve what I want us to achieve. But if you watch if you watch us play, especially in the Tottenham, Manchester United, and Brighton matches this season, it's you know, if if the plan is to concede all of the territory, let them shoot at goal as many times as they'd like, then we are close to achieving that. But I can't imagine that is the plan. So it's very difficult to defend Steve Bruce at the moment. And if I look back at the Newcastle managers we've had previously, uh, I think this is going to go into a Steve Bruce run rather than tactics. But if we look at the runs we've had previously, you know, even Pardew and McLaren, there was some there was some tact there was some tactical ac- acumen there, even if they ultimately were bad you could see what the plan was um but with bruce you just can't see what he's trying to do he, we in the in the five four or five matches we've had this season um we we played like a different setup in a in in three or four of those matches we played four four two or or what was looked like a four four two a four uh four two three one we've played um a three a five at the back system it's just constantly changing um and and the plan definitely seems to be let's hope our goalkeeper pulls off so many good saves and Alan St. Maximan does something at the other end to get us somewhere. But that is not a plan, it's not a tactic. Um, you know, we watched Palace today and watching Palace today against Brighton, they they conceded a lot of shots. They weren't very attacking after they scored the penalty. But they seem to have sort of control on the game that we just don't have in our matches. We we just it's constantly letting shots go in on goal. I think Two of uh, this season, the 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 amount of shots that Tottenham and Manchester United had against us were two of the most the highest totals in the Premier League in the last two or three seasons, which is just ridiculous. That's happened twice with our team this year already. Um, it's 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 really not great. I, you know, I just under Rafa there was some sort of discipline there, but there just isn't that at the moment. We're just we are really just hoping our goalkeeper makes loads of saves and we can nick something on the counter attack to get something in it. It's not sustainable. Um, there, there was a stat that came up in the broadcast yesterday that Cole Dahl has made more saves than any other European goalkeeper uh, this season. That I think Martin Dubravka left led wow. that um, statistic last season. You know, you don't want to be your goalkeeper to be leading that statistic. <laughs> yeah, it looks great for them. Cole Dahl has done his reputation a world of good so far this season. But you don't want your goalkeeper to be making that many saves. It it, it suggests that there's not a great deal of coaching or defensive transition or defensive um, acumen in the coaching setup. So, yeah, we've got the biggest tactical dinosaur there, there is going. The players love him. Uh, you see that Maximon come out and praise him when he signs his new contract. Shelby often praises him because he lets them do what he want, what they want. It's, there's no there's no tactic for Newcastle. Um, we probably will stay up because we've got a, a good amount of talent in the team. That against teams like West Ham and Burnley, we can go on and, and win matches and play okay. But even in those matches, there's not a, there's not a great deal of setup. It is it is just what hoping our goalie makes a lot of saves and the attackers do something. 
So yeah, it's it's not great, and it's not going to get any any better. I think this is the the, the manager I could compare Steve Bruce most to it out of the Newcastle managers in the last few seasons is, is John Carver. So yeah, that tells you all, all you need to know about Steve Bruce and his tactics. He's not great at it. He doesn't know what they are. <clears throat> yeah, uh, well, slightly different with you know, I think, than uh, what Jake's saying there. Um, Wolves, to answer your question, Wolves play three at the back, obviously very rigid, two holding midfielders, very rigid, and Raul Jimenez up top, and that's always the same. It doesn't matter what... Um, you know, variety of the the shape that Nuno chooses. It's always that. That is the backbone of the team. I think there's some more interesting things happening around that. Obviously, with the, the, you know, the wing-backs do what the wing-backs do. They occupy the areas of the pitch you kind of expect. But depending on the personnel, I mean, last season we had Johnny and Matt Doherty as the wing-backs, and they like to come inside and get involved with the play, and they, and they would often look like fielders. Um, more than wingers or you know defenders, so so that was quite interesting. But now we've got Samido and we've got Markel, and they they like to stay wide and they like to push further up the pitch. So that has that's kind of subtly changed the shape of the team a little bit. And then the other thing that's slightly different this season, whereas before we kind of had Jimenez and either two more sort of wide players with him or one centre forward alongside him, we've now got sort of one player playing just deep of him. And one playing uh, shifted out to the right, and that, that this is Nuno trying to be more possession-based, trying to play more passes through the middle, sort of evolve the team a bit more. So, so it's kind of it's it's always the same shape, and I think out of possession, um, it, it always drops into that five at the back with two holding midfielders, um, and that that's that's been the the foundation of what what's what made Wolves you know successful because they've been difficult to beat. They get a lot of bodies behind the ball. Uh, make it very difficult positionally. They're very aware of uh, where they need to be, well drilled. So, so yeah, I, I think um, Nuno does really doesn't like talking about formations. He always likes to talk about shape. There's this big mm. thing, and Pep's the same. He, he calls formations, telephone numbers, doesn't he? he doesn't like saying <laughs> you know four, two, three, one, whatever. He just says you know players have position. And I think there is something in that because. I think it's quite almost an outdated thing to talk about formation because it, it, you know, players are asked to do much more specific things. There's much more science to it now about starting positions and, and, and movements. Um, so yeah, but so I think all, I think all teams, even even Jake, will probably you'd be surprised that you know that there are probably instructions about what to do in and out of possession for most teams in, in the league. But um, but yeah, I, th- I think it, it does evolve. I don't think you can trust those pre-match graphics. Put it that way. Yeah, they insist on keep doing them, but I, I do agree. It feels like the game as a whole is moving past that, and, and you don't find a lot of managers talking about their formation as as they line up and, and then expect players to stay in those exact areas throughout a match. It's just not really how football works. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if in time uh, the media company shift a little bit away from from that, but... Time will tell in that regard. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, and we are back. Jake, we'll start off with you. Yesterday's performance, much better than the final scoreline, but I was wondering if you were more impressed by the former or disappointed in the latter. Um, Difficult. Um. I don't think the performance was very good. I don't think the scoreline was very good. <laughs> so there we go. Um, it was the, the problem we have is, I mean, I've gone over a lot, a lot already, but we just concede so many shots that I imagine I didn't create too many clear cut chances yesterday. But if you're going to let them have 30 shots in your goal, the quality of play they have, some of them will go in. That's just law of averages. It, it you are just playing a numbers game there, and it, it's not a good one. Um, there's just no urgency in the team to press. There's no urgency to win the ball back. They just sort of sit deep and just hope to block chances, which it's just not. It's just not sustainable. Like we're we're playing against a Manchester United team low on confidence. Like this is not a good Manchester United team. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is probably not going to be in that job for much longer. And we went one nil up. Yeah, it's a fortuitous goal, but we went one nil up. That was our time then to just press high and keep going for that second goal. Because um, I think if we'd have got another one. They would have just crumbled like that. That Manchester United team, if you press them high, you know, midfielders like Fred and McTominay and players like um, Harry Maguire, Lindelof, they're not very good when they when they're pressed. They're, they're not the best at get getting out of challenges and, and taking step forward and beating a beating a tackle. They just can't do it. So we we played into Manchester United's hand yesterday. I, I'm sure they they left the ground thinking, I can't believe we we've got away with a game that was so easy as that because it was easy for them. Um, we had a few chances, but um, yeah, there was nothing too clear cut. Like um, Callum Wilson had quite a good chance; it was a good save from De Gea. But you know, you can't go back and say, "Oh, look, if that goal goes, if that goes in, then maybe we take something from the game." Yeah, maybe we do, but at the same time, it you, you want to be creating more than that because Manchester United, I think they've probably got five or six things that they could say, "Oh, if we scored that, it's a different game," whereas we have one. Um, so yeah, we. It's three times that it's happened. It's happened against Brighton, it happened against Spurs, and it happened against Manchester United. One of those games, we got very fortunate and we got a point out of it. But against teams that can, can occupy, occupy the um, spacing between the lines um, and, and can dominate the ball, we struggle. Like Harry Kane pretty much had the run of it against us, uh, against Tottenham, against, um, against Brighton, Lamptey and Trossard were running the game. And then last night, Juan Mata, I think it was his first Premier League start in in God knows how long, he ran the game yesterday because we just let him. Um, And I think with the players we have, 
we've got players that we can we can press high, we can win the ball back, we can counter attack well. We've got, you know, yesterday we were playing against a team low on confidence that just conceded six goals. And if we had Ryan Fraser and, and Miguel Elmeron sitting on the bench while we had Joel Linton and Jeff Hendrick in the team, it we've just shown them far too much respect. And if you've got players like Jeff Hendrick in the team, you want them to press and try and win the ball back. And that just didn't happen. It's just, they were just sitting there and we're the most passive team there is in the Premier League. <laughs> the, the thing is, I don't, I think the thing with Bruce is if you, if you look at the results, if you look at, you know, where we are in the table, where we were last year, where we are this year, you know, seven points from five games is fine into a, a Carabao Cup quarterfinal. It looks fine on paper, but if you watch Newcastle week in, week out, you, you'll just see how passive and just how uninspiring they are. And it is difficult to watch them. And it, and, and, if, and if any Newcastle fan paid the 49.95, I do feel sorry for them. Well, not passive enough to not get a draw with Tottenham at the last minute, which is apparently a thing that happens now. But uh, you said you weren't that inspired by the performance. I thought in the first half you played pretty well. And, and uh, Alan St. Maximan just had all of the Manchester United midfielders and defenders on skates throughout that match. Obviously off the heels of a huge contract extension to stay at the club for another five years, if memory serves. Uh, what did you make of him individually and signing him up long term? Yeah, I think he signed six years, so it's quite a quite a good contract for him. Wow, he's he's got a, he he is the most important player on our team. I think our, our points per game with him and the team, as opposed to without, is is so is markedly different. Different. I think we've only won once when he hasn't played since he signed. So yeah, it's it's kind of similar to the Palace and Zaha thing that was a that happened a few seasons ago. He's that important to us. Um, I think he likes he, with with French players we've had before. They've often gone away and spoken back in French media about wanting to move on to bigger clubs. But you don't get that from St. Maximan. He seems really happy. I think from what I've read and from what people close to him say, he likes being a, a big fish in a small pond. He likes the freedom that he gets living in Newcastle. He lives um, outside the city. He has a lot of privacy um, to bring up. I think he's got a few, um, three children. So, he, you know, he enjoys the, the family life he has in Newcastle. He enjoys the status and the team he has. Um, I think he enjoys the being, yeah, the, the main man in the team. He doesn't want to go and sit and play for Arsenal and, and be a bit but player. He wants to be the main person, and he is that at Newcastle. Um, I think he's created, he's fallen out of a lot of coaches, Patrick Vieira being one of them. But um, Bruce gives him a lot of freedom, and I think he likes that. So, yeah, I think, I think he's one we're going to see at Newcastle. But as long as we're a Premier League team, <laughs> as long as we don't go down in the next two or three seasons, I think he'll be staying. Um, and I think actually he'll he'll get a good move, but he's still only twenty two, and he's he's learning his craft. And I think over the probably since we came back from lockdown, I think he's been really good in that period. Um, he's added an end product that wasn't there, and um, could have got an assist yesterday for Wilson. Um, I think Wilson coming in is going to give him a lot more um, assists because last season he was getting into those positions, and there was just nobody in the, nobody in the area to cross it to. Whereas he has that this year, um, and yeah, I think he's going to. The fact we have him and we have Wilson, it's probably going to be enough to get us get us enough, uh, get us to safety. But um, yeah, he's so important. Like if he, it's similar to Van Dyke, if he got injured for for long term, I think we'd be in a very difficult position. Um, to say in that, you know, we've got we, we seem to have a little bit of strength and depth in that position now. We have uh, Dolanton who played all right against Burnley a couple of weeks ago in, in a forward position. We've got Ryan Fraser still to come in, who who who's lively when he has played. 
um, and Almiron, who's, who started very well in a couple of competitions, but seems to be out of favour in the league for some reason. So yeah, we've got a bit of bit of um, strength in those areas. We've got a lot of exciting players. We just need to find a system that that gets them all in and playing a, a an attacking style. Because I think if if we started to be a little bit more positive, uh, and we have Almiron, Fraser, and set Max Man on the pitch, even if it's for a short period, I think that. Premier League defence is not going to want to go up against that. There's just so much pace, so much directness, um, so much trickery that you'd, it, it wouldn't be fun for defences, which is why we need to do it a little bit more often, I think. Um, and hopefully, once we get past, we've got a, a few tricky games coming up, but I think after that, we play a lot of a lot of the teams that will, will be in the bottom half of the season. So hopefully in that period, we'll see a little bit more um, attack-minded um, team sections from Bruce, because I think we've got the players that could form into quite a good team and, and St. Maximum will be the, the centrepiece of that. Yeah, and then just finishing up, uh, you mentioned Darlow and his infinite saves. And as you say, it looks great for a goalkeeper, but it's not a great sign for the defense. He was clearly injured uh, as Manchester United were starting to pile in all of the goals in the final minutes of that match. Has there been any update on how he's doing? And if he's out and Dubrovka's not back yet, what's the option there? Yeah, he's, from what I've read, he seems to think he's going to be okay. But just watching the game, I've never seen a, a professional team just hope their goalkeeper comes through a knock. Like I've never In seen case a goalkeeper you can that see injured to that passive stuff yeah, you were talking about earlier. Exactly. It was considering he's, he's the goalkeeper is so important to us. It was a huge risk that wasn't needed because if you take him off and he's fine for the next game, that's fine. Um, I think if Bruce is management of players as well. I don't want to get too much into that again, but he, he does seem to push players to their limit. We saw it at St. Maximum in lockdown. He did it again when he could protect the player, um, even if it means you, you weaken yourself for a 20-minute period against Manchester United. You 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 protect the player. We had it with Dubravka. I think he, he rushed him back from an elbow injury and he's gone out again. It's um, yeah. He seems to really push his key players, which isn't good, especially in a season like this. So, yeah, hopefully Darlow's okay. He seems to think he's going to be fine. Um, but, yeah, it was a weird one. And I, I was watching the game to think I was literally screaming, saying, take the goalkeeper off, <laughs> just take him off. And he didn't. But, yeah, didn't matter at the end. We lost. But, yeah, it was, I don't think he, his injury played into any of the goals, but it was, um, it was a, a needless risk at, at that time. But, yeah, hopefully he's going to be okay. Mm. All right, well, best of luck there. Uh, Coming to now, Thomas, to talk a little bit about Wolves. Obviously, you haven't played yet this week, but I think 15th, or at least when I uh, did my research this morning, isn't really where people would expect Wolves to be based on how you've performed the last few seasons. For those that haven't been watching you as much, why do you think you're in and around that area instead of kind of drifting in and around the top six? Well, still early days, I think. Um... You know, it's been a strange thing. We've already played four games, obviously. Some teams have played five. I think if we win at least tomorrow, we'll be exactly where you just said. Um, so, you know, there's obviously the table still mm. taking shape. Um, we, we, we beat Sheffield United, and uh, obviously, subsequently, they've had a bad start. We beat Fulham, so we've beaten the kind of, I don't want to call them whipping boys just yet because it's early in the season, but two teams that have, that have struggled. So we kind of won games to expect us to win. We got beaten by Man City. We played badly for 20 minutes in the start of that game and City were 2-0 up uh, and it was very difficult. And um, But we've made a good game of it in the second half. We were unlucky to actually lose by the end. We created so many chances. And then we took a hell of a wallop in at West Ham, which just seemed to come out of absolutely nothing. But then West Ham have shown recently that they're able to produce moments and, and results. Um, 
but what Wolves are in a in a transitional phase in one sense. They've started unpicking the team that kind of got us to where we are, and you know, as Nuno said, trying to keep the fundamentals, but kind of change the change the approach, give us a bit more versatility. Um, and he's tinkering with the front threes, bringing in Podence and Neto, whereas last season it was Jota and Traore getting most of the game time. So there's quite a lot of change in the team. There's three or four new bodies who were sort of weren't regulars last season, are regulars seem to be regulars now, and new signings. So. I think it's just is one of those things that that we may have a season where we perhaps aren't quite at the level we have been just while we try to kind of discover a formula and a combination with these players that works but um I'm confident we'll we'll be in the top half come come the end of the season whether that's as high as 7th or higher or lower I don't know but I I think it's it's still early days and it's a crazy it's a crazy league as we've touched on already so um I'm I'm not drawing rest of any sort of um you know, too many assumptions at this stage. I think Leeds tomorrow will be a, a nice benchmark because we've seen them have a good start and 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 cause teams problems. And it'll just be interesting to see how we how we get on against them. So every game at the moment feels like it's uh, putting a benchmark down. We beat Fulham last time out to recover from that that West Ham result, and that's the kind of sort of ugly win that I felt we needed to kind of give us a bit more confidence and belief. Uh, a lot of the players went out and did well for their international sides. So, um, yeah, I think we're in decent shape going to Leeds tomorrow. So that 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 will be a good good game. If we get a result there, I think it will properly get our season. Yeah, obviously hasn't happened yet, though. But good luck in that one. I figure we could touch on the window since there isn't that match to talk about, really. It was a weird one for you. I think uh, Dave and I both gave it around a C in, in the big transfer show that we just did. What did you make of the the window on the whole and some of the kind of eyebrow raising incomings and outgoings? Yeah, I think I think the transfer window was quite mixed for Wolves. Um, I think that we were quite surprised by by Jota and Doherty leaving. But as as I said before, Nuno has been pretty open in that we have to evolve this team. Played well the last two seasons, finished seventh both times. But if you want to crack the top six and be competitive, you know, with with the elite clubs, I think he's realised we need to have more of the ball. We need to be slightly higher up the pitch um, and we need to score more goals. I think we're really about 15. Although we were within touching distance of the Champions League last season going into the last two or three games, I think there is a consensus that we're probably 10 or 15 goals shy of, of really, you know, competing at that end. So I think that's what we've tried to do, be more attacking. You know, selling Matt Doherty um, in isolation looks a strange move, but then we brought in Nelson Semedo from Barcelona for 30 million. So if you're going to go and sign a bloke that's played regularly for Barcelona, you're going to say that's on paper looks an upgrade. Um, and then letting Jota go. And we've brought in Fabio Silva from Porto, who's supposed to be a brilliant prospect. Um, and, you know, that was an area of the field where we we're already very well stocked with Neto, Traore, Podence. So there was a question mark over whether Jota was going to be in the team anyway. So I think we've invested a lot in potential and players that can hopefully come into the team, um, you know, slowly and gradually over the course of the season and make a difference, but really be good players for Wolves for the next three, four, five years rather than, you know, those headline signings with the exception of Samido probably and, and Markal who we brought in to play left wing back in cover of uh, Johnny who's out for a lot of the season I think we're, we're looking at the big picture and thinking can we can we in the next two or three seasons find a, a team that can properly push on to that top six so I can understand why you would have given it a C because I don't think it's a very 
you know, some of the arrivals aren't household names, um, but I've got confidence and belief based on the recruitment being pretty good for a long period at Wolves that they made a lot of the right decisions. Gotcha. And then just uh, quickly, you obviously have the Mendes ties that from the outside in looks a little shady. Obviously, Tottenham have now dipped our toes into those very same waters. What should I be on the lookout for? Well, I mean, I don't know if, if, if the thing is with Mendes, he's got a network of like seven or eight clubs um, that he generally shifts players around. Um, and then in addition to that, he's obviously got a, a major foothold in Portuguese football in general. So players, if, you, if you're going to be doing business with him regularly, you're going to be getting a lot of players from Portugal or who are Portuguese. Um, and then you, you you be able to you can quite easily um, recognise transfer rumours that have credibility. So for instance, in the last January transfer window, we were linked with all manner of players. And I was thinking, no, no, that doesn't sound right. Then as soon as I saw Daniel Podence, I thought, all right, Olympiacos, Portuguese, guest of food to client, which is Mendes' agency, <laughs> that's going to happen. And lo and behold, a week later, he's there holding a wool shirt. So you you begin to you know form predictions. I always in the transfer window have the um the the website open that lists all the players who are his clients and i literally look down it and think <laughs> who might who could be a viable target for us and you'd be surprised how often you're able to identify um the targets i mean in, he's he's say so in walls his influence on our transfer business is getting greater and greater with every passing um window i think every single player had his fingerprints on it that walls brought in six or seven transfers and even you know matt doherty became a and you know one of his clients and then he was moved out um so it's you know it's ins and outs he's he's having a, an increasing uh influence not just on walls but the, the whole premier league all right and we will end with match previews which this week is very easy considering the two of you will be playing each other jake we'll start off with your side first yeah um games against wolves have been weird recently because i feel i feel like Th- thomas would think that we cause them a lot of problems but i also don't think we've ever beaten them so it, it's it's a, it's a weird one. I think we, could, we should have won at Molineux a few seasons ago, but then Debrecht threw one in the net, um, which probably should have been given as a foul and probably would have been with VAR. Um, then last season, um, I think it was one all at St. James's Park and might have been one all again at, at Molineux. There's been a lot of draws in this fixture. Um, but then for all the issues we have playing against teams that are, are really good at dominating possession, I feel like Wolves is, is a game that we could perhaps going with a little bit of confidence of maybe getting something because I think if we if we do put men behind the ball and let them have shots I don't think Wolves have that many players that take a lot of shots so that that might not be as big of an issue as, as we've had before I think Ruben Neves will probably have a few shots <laughs> um, but yeah I think we will put men behind the ball and although we are passive that there's men behind the ball so they're gonna we're, they're not gonna have the space for Adama Troy to sprint in behind or anything like that um, so yeah, it's probably a good matchup for us. I think that, especially going the other end as well, Callum Wilson's um, runs and the way he, he occupies centre backs is going to cause him issues, similar to Antonio a few weeks ago. Um, and I think Maxi Maximan, if if he's running at, um, at you know Markel, Cody, or um, Semedo, I don't think any of them are, are good enough to to win the ball. I say Maximan frequently enough. So I think it's going to be a fixture that that could be all right. Um, I'm going to go for a one-all draw. Um, but Wolves probably the favourite. Um, but yeah, that's, it's probably a fixture that we, we might do okay. And so yeah, I'll, I'll go one-all draw. Yeah, I think I'd agree with most of that. I don't think the games, the games have always been pretty nip and tuck tight. 
um, by virtue of how the team's set up. Um, and I think it'll be, it'll be an interesting test of Nuno's style, actually, because it'll probably be the first game where we'll play a team who are more happy not having the ball. Uh, and, and, you know, may six, so it'll be interesting where the Wolves actually get on the front foot, control the possession a bit more and, and, and try to dominate the game a bit more. But my gut instinct is it will probably be another not, you know, close, you know, decided by fine margins kind of game, which all four... I think games in the in the Premier League against Newcastle have been um, after you know we've, after we've got a good month of fixtures really so it'd be nice to see us put some points on the board. Um, I'll probably be predicting us to get a narrow win, but as Jake said, it could very easily with the players they've got if they're defensively sound. Wolves don't generally create a lot of chances, and they've got the players to you know to hurt us at the other end with a moment of brilliance. So yeah, it'd be, it'd be an interesting um, be an interesting game. Hopefully, it's a bit more entertaining than some of the ones we've uh, we've seen in the recent years. All right, well, we'll definitely keep an eye on that one, assuming that we don't have to pay $15 to do so. Uh, really appreciate both of you coming on today. If you'd like to tell folks where to find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, you can get me uh, on Twitter, at Jack with two ends. Um, I write for EPL Index. I'm on the Championship show on this channel sometimes. Yeah, check those out as well. Yeah, if you want to uh, get your Wolves fix or uh, you're a... Uh opposition fan uh, playing Wolves you can come onto the blog uh, at wolvesblog.com or get us on Twitter at wolvesblog or facebook.com forward slash wolvesblog if you want to get the lowdown on Wolves thanks for having me on the show guys yeah thanks so much to both of you again I'm your host Kevin DeVries you can find me on Twitter at Kevroth you can find the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter and by searching it on any of your favorite podcasting things an absolute pleasure speaking to you two and folks at home we hope you keep listening Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.